This episode of the podcast is brought to you by my company, Horns of Odin. Now this week saw us release our brand new clothing range. It's our spring range. And what we've done with this collection is we've tried to put together a bunch of garments that you can wear no matter what the weather. We've got a bunch of new t-shirts. These ones I really like. We've got a Berserker Spirit t-shirt and an Ulfadin Spirit t-shirt. And what these are is that they've got a warrior in the middle and then behind the warrior you've got the spirit of the animal that they're embodying. So behind the Berserker you've got a bear and behind the Ulfadin you've got a wolf. Um, alongside that, for those of you who like something a little bit more simple, we've got just a logo t-shirt. So it's our logo on the left-hand side and that comes in a heather neve and a woodland heather. And these t-shirts are 100% organic recycled cotton. Then we've got a new jogging pant which come in the men's and the women's and we've also got a hoodie. So these are all in black with our logo embroidered on them. Again, with the hoodie, we're trying to keep in that theme of keeping things sustainable. So that's made from 85% organic cotton and 15% uh, recycled polyester. And it's um, Global Organic Treaty certified and also Fair Weather Foundation certified. And finally, I think my favorite item from this launch is we've got a brand new 100% cotton jumper. Now, this jumper is absolutely perfect for me. You can wear it on its own or you can layer it up and have a t-shirt under it and throw that on top for that little bit of extra warmth. It's really comfortable, it's really soft. Like I said, it's 100% cotton. Uh, the men's one comes in black and a beautiful olive color. And then we do a women's one, which comes in a lovely navy color as well. So yeah, just pop over to the website and check them out. Don't forget, you get that extra 10% discount off anything store-wide for listening to the podcast and for supporting the podcast. Just use Horns10 at checkout and you can get 10% off anything. Thanks for listening. Let's jump into the show. Welcome to the Naughty Mythology Podcast. I'm Daniel Farron, corner of the company Horns Voting, and I'm joined, as always, by Dr. Matthias Nordvig. Hello, everybody. Today we have a very special guest. We have Maria Franz from the very awesome band Heilung. Um, you, you may know her as the iconic shamanic figure that, uh, that we see on stage. Um, well, very welcome, Maria. Uh, thanks for joining us again. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, guys. I love your show. And uh, yeah, I'm really cool. So uh, very uh, pleased to be invited back in uh, in a solo edition. I was guesting with uh, my two lovely bandmates. And uh, yeah, now I have you all to myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was, a, that was a fun episode. We, <laughs> we had a lot of laughs. If, if you are only listening to this one and haven't listened to the episode with all three members of, of Highland, then please go back and listen to it because it was hilarious. It was uh, really, really good fun. You guys made made us laugh a lot. We do that uh, a lot by ourselves as well. It's uh, I think it's the combination of uh, of being I don't know. We're we're we just we just uh, we just weirded out by each other sometimes you know mm -hmm. it's, it's uh kai is a uh, he, he's such a, he's such he's such a weird person and i love him <laughs> a lot he's also really really weird like if it's something he doesn't like he will do it a lot just to kind of force him like with coriander he hates coriander so if it's coriander on the table he would just take a huge bite and just mm, just yeah <laughs> 
laugh a lot. I mean, that's a good way to get over your fears, I think. Yeah. Or at least try to. Yeah, I guess that's the point. <laughs> yeah, yeah you, I mean, you guys have an amazing chemistry. Um, obviously, are you are you and Christopher a couple? And then, yeah. okay, yeah, I, yeah. I, I did think that, but I didn't want to. <laughs> I wasn't one hundred percent sure. Yeah, no. This is the this is the hour where you can ask me anything, Daniel. That's, that's <laughs> and uh, yeah, no. It's uh, Chris and me is a couple now for fifteen years. Wow. And, wow. and uh, yeah, and we've been in several groups and several bands with other couples and seen how it works. And sometimes it works really well. And sometimes you have to fight a bit for it um, to kind of remind yourself that you're colleagues first and, and then a couple. But with Chris, mm -hmm. we started out working with music together. So it was never uh, it was never a hard transition or never an issue about how to act with it, with each other it's uh it we find it very easy and of course it's a super luxury when you're long tours and we're always together and we can we can share this adventure mm -hmm. absolutely i mean you must have your moments where you you bicker because me me and sarah have been together uh probably a similar sort of time 15 16 years and we obviously run the business together and we bicker sometimes we you know like obviously we love each other but sometimes it's pretty close hey you know they do say that the love and hate close and you, especially when you work together it's so intense and I imagine music is a very intense thing anyway so i guess sometimes you must yeah it's it is super intense and i i think uh yeah the long hours and um but but during the years you kind of learn what kind of signals to be uh scared of like uh if if i'm hungry i i'm not really pleasant to be around <laughs> <I get angry. laughs> yeah oh so it's like if i start to seem annoyed then chris is like did you eat <laughs> then, uh, that's yeah that's on. always a good one that's yeah. uh that's always a good way to uh, to calm Sarah down as well is to feel uh, <laughs> yeah, just almost like a, like a gremlin. You always <laughs> had a Snickers bar around, right? Eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those, those terrible Snickers adverts that they were. <laughs> so as Mateus mentioned before, you are obviously the, the, the very iconic shamanic kind of headdress, which I think has become almost the face of Heilung, you know, you, as soon as you Google Heilung, that's what you see. And it's very much, I guess, what people put on the posters. Was that the intention for you to become this kind of figurehead almost? Or did it happen by accident? And do you do you enjoy it as well, being very much the front? Yeah, it's, it's funny. It was never the intention. Um, it was the three of us when we started and we asked good musicians to join. And I always thought that Kai would be the centerpiece because he had most of the, the vocal parts and Chris and me would kind of back him in it. Mm -hmm. But then um, uh, I created my outfits out of really deep um, wanting to... I had just had this vision and I just started working on it and it just took shape without me almost thinking about it and when it was done um yeah it's it kind of went very organically how how things went from there it was never planned how we would position ourselves on stage or how the others should look we just mm -hmm. agreed that we would try to kind of dig up our roots and what felt familiar to us 
Um, so I used the Viking dress I've had for oof, yeah, 15 years on Viking markets before. It still has, you know, some spots of red wine from late evenings and uh, some <laughs> mud on the hem from uh, walking in the woods and, you know, mm-hmm. and all this uh, together kind of uh, made the, the, the looks of it. And, and now it's, uh, I'm kind of... Uh, embracing it as it became a symbol more than me in a way um Mm -hmm. i think that you have to look at it as as a a bit on a distance because now there's a lot of people that get tattooed and get get Mm -hmm. my face tattooed on their body which is uh, beautiful and also you know it's it's weird if I, if I start oh. to, up to think about it. It's it's uh yeah. <laughs> it must that must be absolutely surreal. I can't wait until the podcast gets big enough where somebody gets my face tattooed on there <laughs> because that will make my day. <laughs> it, would, it would be really creepy, but I would secretly I would be uh, so happy. I'd be smiling inside. Yeah, how and that is not a challenge. Don't please nobody listening to this. Just go and do that. Secretly, go and do that. Yeah. <laughs> but don't. But do. <laughs> no, but actually, really don't. It would be. I can't help myself now. I'm just stuck in this spiral of uh, do's and don'ts. But no, that must be super strange when you see somebody with your face tied on. But also, I guess, whilst it is your face, it's also not just your face if that makes sense you've got obviously the headdress on which covers your eyes in most instances do you so are you able to kind of separate it in that way yeah yeah because this is uh it's a big part of me it is me on stage uh with this uh, attire but it's also um it's also a creation born out of this project uh so it is very very easy for me to to separate it as being two entities part of the same and it's hard to explain it i can't really explain it for myself either but it just it feels uh it feels natural and it feels like i've been working my entire life to get to this point where i'm standing there on stage looking like this it's it's weird because because i'm wearing stuff that i've been collecting my entire life um Mm -hmm. little beads that i made when i was 11 on my first working market and you know, it's it's just weird. I've been dragging this stuff along my entire life and all of a sudden we create Heilung and I get to use everything and they become a part of, mm-hmm. of it. No, that I think that's so beautiful that everything is very much organic. It's not it's not stuff you've gone and bought from a shop or you've kind of pre planned it and made these elaborate outfits. You've literally I imagine just looked at what you've got and gone, All right, this is gonna look kinda cool. Let's just throw it all together and see what happens yeah and i think you have to have your heart in it in that matter and precisely like you say go for stuff that you find cool and interesting and uh, that you feel at home with yourself because art is best when you when it comes from the heart right and the same with cooking a meal if you don't really feel it it will not taste good and it's the same with music uh if you try to pretend that you are somebody else then it will shine through i think Mm -hmm. Hmm. I very much agree with that. So, so um, you've been mentioning uh, uh, your experiences at the Viking markets. Let's talk a little bit more about that. Um, the whole uh, you. When did you get into Viking reenactment? 
Yeah, well, so I grew up in Borre in Norway, uh, which has one of the biggest gatherings of uh, burial mounds from the Viking Age, like mm -hmm. five minutes from my house. And that was a very favored uh, playground for us when we were kids. And we always knew that the kings and queens were buried under there. And it was <laughs> material for a lot of fairy tales uh, that we made up ourselves about who they were and how they looked like and what were, they were doing. And um, and then uh, they created a, a Viking log, um, a group uh, with a focus on uh, showing the, the history from the Viking Age. And they started doing markets on this spot. Uh, and the first one was when I was uh, 11. And my mom and me went there as visitors. And I, I think actually I cried a little bit when I entered the, the market space because... Mm -hmm. It just felt, I felt really, really home. And there was something about the smell of fireplace and the clang, clang from the smithy and the swords clanging in the even farther ahead and somebody singing and flute playing. Um, you know, there was just this whole imagery of sounds and smells and it just felt completely magical mm -hmm. and like, yeah, like a, like a fairy tale, like I stepped into some, some, some story. I and, think for, I mean, for a child, that's such a such an amazing thing that you have such a vivid imagination anyway as a child. So then when you go and it's recreated there and like you say, you get the sounds, the smells, it, it, it will be as though you you were there. You're all, you know, you're able to, to kind of put yourself in that position, which has clearly had such a long lasting effect to today into what you do. And, and it's channeled all the way through your life. Exactly. And some some part of me believe that there was a, a premonition. Is that the right? Like I could, mm -hmm. I, if I could glimpse the future, I would, that maybe might have been why I felt it so strongly. And I also really, like I was really pulling my mom, like, let's do this. Let's join. Can we... Can we just be like them? <laughs> mm -hmm. And we started the, and she she also really wanted to. So we, the two of us, started making our own clothes out of you know sheets from the bed and whatever we could find lying around the house. We looked really, really, mm -hmm. really uh, <laughs> sad the first year, <laughs> as everyone do when they start something new. But uh, we had so much fun, so much fun with it, and we instantly connected with a lot of. Um, people and got a lot of friends and I think that's also an important part of these reenactment environments that it's easy to as soon as you get into it it's um, easy to find uh, new new friendships mm -hmm. from all over Ab the world absolutely I think it's it's important that your mum was so welcoming to it and helped you and you it was this thing that you did together because yeah. so many parents I think are, can be quite dismissive of things that children want to do especially I mean I don't know what the the kind of stigma around like reenactment is in Norway but I know in, in the UK some parents might be a little bit shy to it maybe thinking it's it's not for them or it's a little bit nerdy I guess that kind of image so some parents may shy, shy away from it and not want to do it even though the children want to because they don't want to be seen as seen in this world so it's good to have like your mum the was so keen to do it something you do together and then it moves on um because i think parents should just do if the child want to do something definitely do it together and make it fun and then it has a, a such a positive lasting effect yeah and this was in 96 i think so it wasn't uh people didn't really know what it was yet uh mm -hmm. 
Viking reenactment scene came kind of late to, to Norway. It was earlier in Denmark. So I think people didn't have the same um, stigma on, on it being a, a nerdy or a weird thing to do. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, now it became cool again, but for a while it was not cool to, yeah, to be a funny. <laughs> that, that's what I was wondering is to, to, to people who are on the outside of like this community, just your average, average Joe, um, looking, looking in on people who dress up in, or like you know, reenact like the the past and have these axes and swords and the dress and it it can they they can be quite judgmental, I guess, to it. And I wondered whether that was maybe different in Norway, would it been more directly kind of the history of those people than maybe it would be in America, where people may be a little bit more judgmental because it's not the direct route, or is it the same in in the Scandinavian countries where people can still be a bit dickish towards people who decide to do this i feel like you know over the years i mean because uh, i i have had you know sort of a similar relationship to the reenactment um community as, as you maria except i've probably been a little more peripheral my mom was you know doing reenactment for several years starting in the late 90s and, and then through the early 2000s I've like I've been part of it here and there, uh, um, but not as active. And um, yeah, I feel like you definitely get people who you know, you know, like that's some really weird nerdy shit right there. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> why would you want to do that? And it's like, yeah, why would I want to spend my time in nature? Uh, you know, sleeping in a tent and and you know, bathing in the ocean in the summertime. Yeah, that sounds weird, right? Like, or learning some kind of craft. Yeah, I'm such a geek. Like, <laughs> you know, uh, if you ask me, like, this is probably one of the most wholesome, you know, uh, uh, free time leisure activities that you can do, because you have like you interact with so many different people from, as you said, Maria, from all over the world. Um, there are so many people who come to like Viking markets from Poland, from, from Italy, from, from Russia, from, from, from all kinds of places. Right. So, so you get to, to interact with so many different people. You get to, you have the possibility of, of, of learning pretty much any kind of craft. Right. Mm -hmm um that's at least associated with the viking age um and and then aside from that the parties are fucking awesome yeah <laughs> so, but yeah no you do have like that that uh that there's that group of people in in every country I, I feel like who's like why why would you want to do that that's that's just like weirdly nerdy <laughs> so it's also how many how many of your friends are doing the same mm -hmm. because i know for chris uh, in growing up in copenhagen in uh, having no one else doing it in his friend circle that was definitely not cool he had to kind of just own it and just yeah. be like well it's cool because yeah. i say so kind of thing <laughs> but uh, for me i had uh, most of my close friends were into it and also when i got a little older and doing a live role playing game in the, in the oslo environment where there's so many awesome people um totally uh, respecting every kind of weird choice you would take of things to do in your spare time so uh so yeah I, I think if you're the only one in your school or workplace or anything of course it's lonely but uh mm -hmm. yeah 
yeah, no, that and that's that. I had a similar experience as Chris, I think, because um, like you know, living in Aarhus, which is the second largest town in Denmark, everybody uh, is doing whatever they can to be very hip and metropolitan, right? Especially because that you know Copenhagen is the hip metropolitan place, so quite <laughs> even harder. Yeah, yeah, you have a lot of provincial shit you have to make up for. <laughs> <laughs> but on the other hand, like uh, Aarhus has uh, the largest and oldest Viking market, right? Um, like Moscow, uh, which is huge, and I, I think it's actually the oldest one, um, if I remember correctly. It was started so the the recreation, so the reenactment part of it all, like uh, doing experimental archaeology and recreating things. I think stems all uh, all the way from the seventies as like a, a a thing that people have been doing, and then the Viking Viking market as such, um, like public Viking market, I think comes around in the, the early nineties, maybe late eighties. I can't remember exactly. There was like a, a Smiths um, coming together and like trying to like work on Viking Age smithy stuff from a very early time that was like one of the first things that happened there so yeah but that's like that that the moscow area uh south of Aarhus is very similar to, to bora in the sense that it, it it i mean it's not a you know kings or or anything cool like that actually all of the the uh, mounds that you find there they are reconstructed they are taken from other places and then have been been put there um but but it's sort of like a historical space that has been created for for like the experience of of uh, basically uh, ten thousand years of Denmark. <laughs> so they they're like planting they planted um, forests as they would have been back like just after the Ice Age and that kind of stuff. So so that's that's always been sort of like a great experience uh, uh, to go there and sort of interact with with history in different ways and, and get a feel for what, what would a, like for instance, a Viking age environment look like with the mm -hmm. little stave church that they have and, you know, all that stuff. So, so that's always been really awesome there. I think, I think the internet must, especially Facebook must have really brought new life into, into this kind of stuff for good, for good and for bad maybe. But I think at least letting like-minded people, meet each other because i imagine pre pre facebook if you were into this kind of stuff how would you meet other people other than if your parents were willing to take you to a market and you knew that it was on then you could obviously then maybe meet people speak to people but now you can just with the, the click of a button you can join a group and speak to people who are also interested in the same thing and then kind of navigate how to do it and and then at least talk with people who like it and it's not as scary i guess in a sense of the maybe people will will judge you or laugh at you or, or whatever it's it's a little bit more safe is not the right word but i guess easier to connect there's also some some bad sides to it i guess as well though um, <laughs> we we've all, we've spoke about the facebook groups on this uh podcast quite often oh, yeah. and some of them are a little bit a little bit odd okay yeah, yeah, yeah. i guess it does get watered out is maybe not the right word but it's the same as i mean if you if one person tells a story and then uh, the other person retells it and they retells it and retells mm -hmm. it 
will become a different story. And I feel that's a bit also what's happening with the reenactment scene that mm-hmm. more and more stuff is getting, get, gets to be allowed uh, in the way of how you make the dresses and how you, because you saw someone wearing something that you also want. So you make it and then somebody else see it. And in the end, it's not based on any archaeological findings whatsoever. No. And it gets that the, the original idea gets lost a little bit but at the same time i'm not going to be uh, annoyed by that because i also see so many people having such a wonderful time out Mm -hmm. in nature sitting around the fireplace looking at each other and listening to each other instead of looking into a phone or a screen and i think such high values in in our modern time and age so and more of it, I would say. And if you really want a really on authentic market, then do that. Make make one and say, okay, this we do this for real. We hire archaeologists to do uh, their work in um, in helping with how it should be arranged, and and then say that this is an authentic market. If you want to see something which are true to our findings, go here. If you want a uh, an experience with your family and kids where they can eat uh, candy and mm-hmm. uh, jump on a Viking carousel then then you know there's yeah. lots of stuff for them as well there's no reason why both can't coexist together I, I think it's easier it's easier to turn somebody in the right direction that's already interested in it but maybe it didn't make it 100% authentic and then turn them into a more authentic side if they wanted to rather than trying to start it from absolute fresh from someone who's not got any sort of interest in our basis in it so okay. and you don't want to shun them away either because if, if people have a negative experience straight away like me trolling them on facebook they might just disappear and not and not come back do you do that no sometimes the one that gets me is is the the, the face paint the the the, 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 the war paint one is the one that i struggle to understand why people do that tell, tell me about your rage regarding this it's, it's, i wouldn't call it a rage i would just i don't understand where it comes from and it's more like because I, I understand it in, in say like a Highland perspective where you're on stage and it's it's very much a show. But then there seems to just be people, these these subsect of people that sit at home in their living room and draw runes on their face with mascara and then pout and take a selfie and are like, <laughs> "What do you think about my war pain? And it's like, "What? Like you're not going to war?" And how? Like that. I guess that was the other thing, which is why I wanted to ask Matthias was, is there any evidence like that? That's what they did so did, did where did this heavy like black because you i guess you also see with like this the scots and braveheart where you get like the blue right pin. um so so yeah so this these are actually this is where you're gonna get uh, really frustrated because you're gonna tell me that they're accurate well they are based on historical accounts <laughs> I, I knew it was coming so okay so so with the Scottish and blue and all that stuff like that goes all the way back to Roman times where they where different Roman historians are describing how the Picts up in what is now Scotland right um you know are, are, are like in different ways color their skin some of this has been interpreted as in, uh, as tattoos which is also very likely um and and so that's like a stable uh, description of, of of people in the British Isles already from around the year zero even before I think so so that's a thing um and and this also we see some 
Tacitus, the Roman historian who describes the Germanic peoples uh, on the other side of the Rhine, um, he does seem to indicate that some of them are coloring themselves in different ways. This is also where Heilung got the whole uh, the, the, the darkened warriors from, right? Mm. Um, I think he, that's the description of the Chatti, if I remember correctly. Exactly, uh, the Hardy. The Hardy, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and he also mentions uh, that uh, a, a tribe called uh, he calls them the Eisti, as far as I remember, they they might like be tattooing boars on themselves or something like that. So there's like these uh, indications that that there's like some some coloring going on. Um, it might not be tattoos. We can't say for sure. It could also be just like paint. But then what we get later on from the Viking Age is. Um, the uh, the the, the uh, emissary from uh, the caliphate in Cordoba, uh, so that's Muslim Spain at the time. Um, um, what is his name? Jakub uh, Al Tatushi. He is uh, a uh, Jewish uh, emissary for the um, uh, the the caliphate, and he's sent to the court in. In uh, what is now Germany, I what, what is is it Louis the Pious or is it Otto? I can't remember. One of those uh, German emperors uh, during the Viking Age, and he takes sort of like a a trip to to Scandinavia. He he visits Hedeby uh, in southern Denmark, where he uh, describes that they paint them they paint their eyes uh, dark. Um, and he doesn't really give any details on on on, on what they're using or uh, or anything like or, or, or what it's for. I think he says that it's it's to make them more beautiful. That that's why. That's the reasoning. Now the thing is that this is a very standard thing uh, pre Christianity and pre Islam in the Mediterranean. Um, I mean, go back to the Egyptians, right? How is an Egyptian from that time period represented? It's always like with some eye paint, right? Um, so, and this is like, of course, a, a fashion, a, a culture that exists uh, throughout North Africa, for instance. Um, this is something that the Muslims uh, very strongly uh, associate with paganism. Uh, for instance, the non-Muslim Barba in in the uh, Atlas Mountains would would still be using that uh, paint around their eyes, and so on. So, so there is there is something that uh, in this account that might actually that has there are scholars who have suggested. Oh, he's just basically saying this because these are pagans, right? Uh, in Scandinavia at the time, so so is, so maybe they didn't use any any paint at all, or he's just like. Uh, copying uh, what he knows about like representations of pagans and other Muslim literature, but on the other hand, it's also very very likely that that they use this kind of uh, uh, eye paint. Uh, it's also very very likely that they've been using like at, at the time when he's describing this that they've been using it eye paint in Northern Europe um, since uh, the Romans showed up <laughs> in the first couple of centuries. Um, at least because they probably used it and and so on and so on so uh, so i think i think it's a very likely scenario that they did uh have some kind of like uh mascara that they were using uh, <laughs> And, and painting runes uh, in their face. So the rune thing—that's yeah. another thing. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> that's, that's a little. That's a 
that if you ask me, it's probably going a little too far. <laughs> um, save me, Mateus, because otherwise I've got so many people to apologize to. <laughs> so, no, I like this whole thing. Is, I've seen the people that you're talking about and, and that, you know, face paint with like runes everywhere and all that stuff. I, I doubt that that was a thing. Um, like, at least in the way that you see it there. You could always discuss... First of all, you could discuss whether or not they were tattooing, for instance. It's not a it's not impossible that they did. Um, I mean, uh, hitherto the oldest uh, archaeological find of, of a tattooed person, right? Mm -hmm. um, for uh, five thousand years old or more. Um, they just recently found tattooing tools in Tennessee that are older. Um, oh, wow. So, so North American uh, tattooing traditions. Um, but just think about it, right? If if you have a tra tattooing tradition in the Bronze Age in Europe, it's very likely you also have tattoo tattooing traditions later on in the Iron mm -hmm. Age and so on. And as far as we know, historically, it's really only um, Islam that has been very staunchly against tattooing. Christianity is sort of like back and forth on that issue. Sometimes you see a, a, a an accepting attitude uh, to it, and other times you see a pope cracking down on it. It's so it's first in the 1200s, as far as I remember, that you see it, the pope really getting like no no tattoos, right? If you go back to the 700s in in northern England, there's a distinction between tat uh, Christian tattoos and pagan tattoos. <laughs> So that's just something to keep in mind. Uh, we know that the Romans didn't didn't really appreciate tattoos because it was associated with slaves, and also that that would also be the same for the Hellenic Greeks. But then you have the Thracians who very much tattooed. Like we know that the Thracians tattooed, and that's that was sort of like a cultural war between the the Hellenic Greeks and the Thracians up north, right? Um, so it's like very likely that a guy like Alexander the Great was tattooed. By the way. I guess a tattoo is a good way to differentiate between a slave and a free person, I guess. Yeah, um, see, this is the interesting thing, because then um, there are some scholars who have suggested that the original stigmata in context of Christianity was actually tattoos. Huh? Um, because a lot of like early converts would be slaves. Uh, uh, so there's a, it, that's that's a popular thing in Japan, isn't it? I think for is it prisoners that get they have like the the armbands, so like the uh, thick the thick bands that go around. They tend to be um, as far as I understand about the like, tattoos in in Japan. The traditional tattoos is that originally you get tattooed for various crimes, so that you right. get like a a a, a, a I guess like a, a text that says this asshole is a robber or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. And then people would like you know get tattooed over like to to cover up that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um. Mm -hmm. So and that's how that really awesome uh, tattooing tradition in Japan came about. <laughs> yeah, I mean it is still because they are. I know we're talking about a completely different culture than what we're meant to be, but um. Even in Japan, it's still quite a big stigma on tattoos today. Yeah. You're not meant to show them in public, are you? I know. I yeah. mean, I'd be, I'd be fucked. I don't know. Yeah. I think they're they're a little forgiven for gaijins like uh, you and me. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, but yeah, no, it's it, it 
all of like Eastern Asia or many places in Eastern Asia, China, for instance, it's a big stigma with the tattoos. Of course, you have Taiwan. It seems like there's a pretty liberal um, um, culture there when it comes to tattooing. The same with South Korea. Mm-hmm. And then you have like uh, th- Thailand as another place, mm-hmm. Bali, right? Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of places where it's, it's distinctly associated with criminals, yeah, which isn't that far from the European uh, imagination about tattoos too. It's, it's crazy, very- really, because when you think of like tattoos, like Japan, like Japanese style tattoos have to be one of the top or at least the most popular that you get and for it to be seen so negatively in Japan, but they do it so well. It's <laughs> it's kind of an oxymoron. Yeah. yeah no, I don't know if I used that right. I think I did. It's, yeah. It's at least a paradox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I almost got there. So, um, Maria, you said before that you were into LARPing at some point. Yeah, that is, uh, yeah, started when I was around 15, I think, because some people in the um, uh, Viking environment that I became friends with were also doing LARPing. And uh, I fell in love with a couple of them. And you know how it goes. I kind of got invited (laughs) along for a few games Mm -hmm. and I absolutely loved it. I never felt like I was a big um, actor and I was always very Mm -hmm. admiring the people who who did the, the large part of the acting. And I think one of the best things one of them said to me is that the whole point of LARPing is that you play other people up. Like you shouldn't try to be a, 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 you you can't be a king unless everyone around you treats you like a king. So okay. so that's that's kind of a, a good uh, that was, I felt I had a good uh, upbringing amongst some really really talented and uh, and skilled people. And um, yeah, I learned uh, some really cool survival skills through LARPing in Norway because I was invited to become, um, to play a lieutenant for a small hiring company of, uh, you know, uh, merchandise in a fantasy uh, world. Um, And these guys were all uh, either in the military or ex-military in real life. So it was just tiny me and then uh, five, six <laughs> big military guys. And we were hiking around in the forests for uh, for quite some time. And it was extremely educational in everything from sleeping uh, outside in the middle of the forest to how much food do you carry to where do you find water? How do you lit a fire in the uh, rain? Uh, also, one of the games, uh, it started snowing the day before we were to go out. And uh, when we started walking into the forest, it just got worse and worse and worse. And in the end, the guys had like snow up to their chest, <laughs> really just having to to make way so I could mm-hmm. kind of... Uh, I, I, I was I would not have managed there at all without their help. And then when we came to the campsite, which they put up a couple of weeks before, the snow had of course uh, uh, buried the the lavos, the TP. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was one standing, so we kind of crammed in there. In the morning after, we decided to cancel the rest of the game oh, because it was simply too cold and wet. And yeah, <laughs> but, but yeah, lar lar makes for really really good adventures that kind of also helps to prepare you for real life scenarios I I discovered Mm -hmm. and I had many years of great pleasure uh, doing that 
Now I hear that LARPing has changed quite a bit, many places, like for instance, there's in, in Holland, you can go to a, they, they have cafes where you can buy your food. You don't even have to have to make your own food in game and stuff like that. And okay. I'm just used to having to do everything ourselves. So yeah. Do you guys have any uh, LARPing uh, backgrounds? No, I've, uh, I don't think it was that big in England until very recently, or at least I never knew of it as a, as a, as a child uh i think my first ever introduction to lapping was the movie role models i think that's the first time i ever saw i saw lapping like i it's just I, I don't know if it was just me that lived a sheltered life or it just wasn't that big over here i'm not sure no and i think that in denmark it was pretty uh looked down upon like something that only kids were doing at least that's my impression yeah, uh, yes and no, I think. Like, so I feel like it became sort of like a thing that that was like big in schools and after school programs and that kind of stuff, uh, sort of like in the early 2000s. And, and, and it's sort of, um, I mean, yeah, the people, the grownups, so judging from like popular fictions of various kinds, like, you know, TV shows and stuff like that from Denmark. Grown-ups who do it are like the goofy geeks, right? That That's that's how it's represented. But that's I mean, the way it's always kind of portrayed, I think. As yeah. Well. Like that's, or at least the way it was. Yeah. Um, I think but it's I mean, changed like, I, a little bit. I've known a lot of people who've, who've done LARPing. Uh, not myself ever, um, really. Um but uh, but yeah, no, a lot of people that I know uh, have been doing it. So I think also coming from the Norwegian environment to Denmark was uh, a bit of a shock. And I stopped LARPing after moving to Denmark because uh, I realized that uh, at least the, the, the stuff I could find when I moved here 15 years ago was bare, basically only fantasy LARPing. Mm-hmm. And in Norway, the environment there had moved on to make some horror larping um the most amazing was yeah they they, get into that one yeah imagine a cabin deep into the woods which was installed with like 60 different speakers and uh, a friend of mine were actually sitting in a little sound room during the whole weekend and just controlling footsteps following you when you go to the toilet in the dark we had it sounds like a movie it was so (laughs) That, that's some very advanced stuff wow yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, i would i would enjoy that though i think yeah yeah, I, yeah. um i have this I, I love the idea of like seeing how far i can be pushed before I, like i crack oh, i guess like the survival type horror stuff i really enjoy that like the the haunted houses and and that kind of stuff and, yeah yeah, and imagine living in it in three days, being in a character, and at some point, everyone just broke character simultaneously because there was just children screaming under everyone's beds. Uh, everyone was freaking so much out that we just huddled together in the one big room that was <laughs> in the cabin, and just like, <laughs> it was super scary, and I wouldn't, I will never forget it. And I still owe a lot of thanks to the people arranging it because they worked so hard for everyone else to be freaked out. <laughs> That sounds so cool. <laughs> it, 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 re- it really does, but it also sounds like someone's filming it and making a horror movie and secretly people are actually dying. Yeah. yeah not, not a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there is already movies that exist like that. There has to be. 
So there is the Danish concept of dogma, um, Dogma 95, which is like this minimalist way of making movies. Uh, Lars von Trier is like the big uh, dude behind all of that. Um, and there have been, there was like a couple of films that were made in like the late 90s where, where it was very, like, like it was very raw. There's like, especially one called The Idiots where it features actual porn scenes and stuff like that because the whole idea was that everything had to be real like so uh so so, so at least not with horror but i guess with porn <laughs> there's, there's been a couple of movies like that <laughs> yeah. we always have to go there i guess so like uh, you're always bringing the tone down aren't you? <laughs> if it's not if it's not a dictionary then it's <laughs> so this this uh, director, the directors uh, in that have been making those movies are some of the most respectable directors in Denmark. Mm-hmm. I guess it says more about Denmark than anything. <laughs> I, I think, I think probably yes, it, yeah, it does. Um, I know, I know of one. There's, there's one somewhere near me. It's like a, it's like a survival horror experience, and you, I think you have to. I looked into it a little bit, and then Sarah told me I wasn't allowed to do it. So I do it. this one you um you apply for it and then they do a like a psychological profiling of you through your social media for like six months and then you wait you wait by a lay-by if you get like sign up for it and they they come by pick you up like throw you in the back of like like one of the old army jeeps and um i guess they, it's the idea i think there's like 12 people and there's an idea of like different rounds and whoever like cracks first in each round until there's one person left at the end i'm sure he's called cracked i don't i mean i imagine you have to sign some sort of disclaimer to it uh, but that's very much more like a a a horror like like, someone said in the chat i don't think you pay for it i think it's free (laughs) i don't think they care about about the money but it's almost like i think there's one in the u.s called makami manor which is very much similar it's very much like a very as real horror scenario as you can get um, but I find that really interesting. And same with like the, I guess like the SAS Who Dares Wins program, the show on Channel 4 where you go through the selection process. I find that really kind of like the idea of how far you can be pushed and the survival Challenge skills. Yourself. Yeah, which I think almost sounds like what you were doing with the lapping in the early days yeah. of yeah. being out there and and having to do everything yourself, which I'd never really thought of as as what lapping would be i guess my idea of lapping was very much that role models idea of like the foam swords and everyone's just mm-hmm. in a park hitting each other and you lose yeah. a you lose a leg and hop around for a little bit and there's a a little uh wooden castle yeah. like that that was i guess my idea i never even thought of it as like how you said with the whole survival yeah it's weird because i there's i don't know if there's anything like that around here in uh you know the 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 general front range area between denver and boulder like this um i haven't heard of anything it's it's especially weird to me because there's 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 a lot of like dungeons and dragons playing uh, type of people around there's a lot of hippies too right so like you you think that 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 mix of people would eventually produce some some larping in the woods but I yeah. guess all we get is like weird techno parties in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's all right. Yeah, D and D seems to be another one that's grown yeah. in the last 
the last few years, it seems to have just got huge. Yeah, yeah, it got a really good re- revival. But I think it also it takes uh, it takes some balls to 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 get a LARP up and standing. I mean, I know people who built a whole Western city from the ground up uh, mm-hmm. with uh, everything, with a saloon and a whorehouse and everything, just so people could play LARP there for a week. And uh, you know the the dedication people put into costumes and developing the roles and having meetings for half a year, developing own languages that they then talk for this mm-hmm. one week. And if it's a very successful game, then you would do pre- prologues and you would continue to do it. There's one world in Norway which has been going now for at least twenty years, and there's books being written about it also because there's so much stuff there from the mm-hmm. folklore and you know it just develops so so it's um and yeah just to have the skills to to build something and to make your own clothes and to learn a language so in my opinion the larpers at least the ones i know in norway are some of the most badass people i know absolutely oh absolutely it sounds almost like putting a festival on i guess yeah yeah like that that kind of but yeah i guess you know people are paying to come and take part in it. I mean, I don't know necessarily how it works, but I assume there is some sort of money to it. Then the more that people, I guess, put into it, then you do want some sort of world creating because, you know, you were putting, you're putting money into the, the more they can put on and make it real, you, the mm. more you're going to get into it, I guess, and, and mm. be absorbed by it and enjoy it. And then you're going to grow. So, you know, it's, it makes sense that they would put that much, that much effort into it. Absolutely. And I mean, yeah, now I just swapped LARPing with Heilung, I guess, which is its own little <laughs> festival in itself with 35 people and uh, <laughs> and you making your own costumes. And that, so, yeah. Well, yeah, you're still, you're still doing it to a, to a degree. And I know you mentioned be- before the chat to, to get back on topic as such, I guess. Um, you, you guys built your own studios is that is that right did you say that yeah 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 that's true um yeah right now i'm sitting in the second studio of uh christopher my partner and uh one of the founders of Heilung. um and uh we had to build this from scratch because there was simply no room that would, would meet christopher's requirements because now he had actually this is the third studio he's building <laughs> uh, but the two before was basically just rooms which he isolated and mm-hmm. um, made a window in between the rooms so you could see the recording artists and stuff like that. So now when we anyways had to start from scratch, then he was like, okay, now I want to do it properly. I want to build mm-hmm. my dream studio and make no no wall equal. So everything is angled and um, okay. the walls are super thick, isolated. The floors are floating, and we just started with a, I think, a three hundred square meter empty industrial room, and mm-hmm. now there's a five room uh, sound studio in it. And we that's, did everything that's awesome. ourselves. Yeah. I mean, from anybody that listened to the to the episode with with all three of you, it's very clear that Chris loves sound. Yeah. Like that's his thing. Like some of the, the stuff he was talking about, you know, that's. He's very much into it. So I imagine that when, as Highland have grown, he's been given more free reign, whether it's financially or time, that he's able to build his his ideal place. And I, I can almost relate to that in a sense of when I when I you know when I started Hans Voden, I I was 
sanding horns on a shitty bench in my, in my garage. And then yeah. I then I got a little bit more time and money. So I yeah. changed the garage into like a full workshop. And then yeah. now I'm looking at getting a big unit because I've outgrown that now and you move it. So as you know, as you develop and, and grow, you get the money, I guess, and, and the need for something better. So it's good that he's now in a position to build. Because I imagine he absolutely loved designing and building his own absolutely, studio. Absolutely. But we were talking about it today because it was Chris and me and uh, Finn, uh, our sound engineer, which has uh, built his own uh, little studio next to ours. And uh, the three of us, were, I, I mean, we, we still talk about it because it was so bloody hard uh physically to do it but it was one of the most amazing periods of our times anyways because we just jumped into it i think if we had known the amount of work uh and physical uh <laughs> hard lifting labor we i would have been super scared before going mm -hmm. into it but we ended up uh, just jumping mm -hmm. into it we knew exactly what we wanted and um and yeah wow i don't know man it was how many plaster boards maybe 450 that we like singly single-handedly <laughs> carried up to the second floor and stuff oh like is that. it on the second floor as well yeah 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 so uh it was it was really really we we got uh we got in super fit shape everyone got very buff <laughs> from that six months of building that's for sure i bet so uh, did you do this during the downtime of covid or was it no it was happening before no yeah that's the thing this happened in 2018 so Highland played our first gig in 17 at midgash mm -hmm. built fest and then we did uh and that fall in october we got the notification from our landlord that we had to move out from our studio and our home which was part of the same building and they were going to tear okay. it down so we had to move so that was a bit like at the same time as um lifa exploded on youtube and ofnir uh, we got signed by season of mist and we got uh, re done everything and everything yeah everything basically exploded we were homeless <laughs> for four months uh and we were building the studio for six months mm -hmm. so we were sitting actually in kai's tattoo studio uh doing the artwork for the vinyl vinyl productions because we didn't we didn't have a, a studio or home to be in so we just huddled in there mm -hmm. and uh, yeah it was a crazy time because it was super super chaotic and hardcore physical label and uh, stressful psychologically as well because we couldn't find our home we simply couldn't find it in Copenhagen so we started to have having to search wider and uh, then finally we found an old farmhouse uh, on the countryside and everything is as well as it could be now but <laughs> it was a rough time <laughs> I, I imagine it was worth it now you've got your your issue I mean it must make things so much easier having your own place to uh, to record and not to rely on others. Yeah. yeah. And I imagine Chris doesn't play well with others as well. I imagine he wants things his way. How could you guess? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he, he he clearly knows he knows what he wants. So I imagine that yeah. uh, it's yeah. easier when he's just allowed to do it himself. 
Exactly. Absolutely. And before, I mean, yeah, sharing a practice space with uh, with others was not really an option for Heilung. Um, or, uh, I mean, it's, it's of course, super luxurious to have it by ourselves. So we always mm-hmm. know where things are and no one's stealing the mic stands and leaving do empty you, bear cans on the table. Do you need certain things for the type of music that you guys make? Yeah. Yeah, we do. Uh, we need a space that's big enough for the big drums for, mm-hmm. for a starch. Um, and uh, we custom make almost everything we play on. So that means space is a, a crucial factor. Uh, so we kind of build up a, um, a bonophone. We made a bonophone uh, out of uh, mm-hmm. lake bones from a grave in Berlin. Uh, so yeah, you know, it's good to have space for the bonophone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's so many jokes that can be made there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I, because yeah, I did wonder whether because you have so many different instruments and also have so many people, I guess, involved. I, I assume you don't record everybody in a no. in a studio situation, but still. You know, if you have the opportunity to build, I guess, would it be different to a conventional studio? Absolutely. But yeah, you're absolutely right. We're too many people to to practice comfort- comfortably in mm-hmm. in no matter what, how big studio we would make it would then it would not serve the other purposes of recording if it, the room was so big that we all 20 of us could uh, could stand in there. So yeah, when we do uh, practice rounds with Heilung, we uh, we rent a, a venue and and do a, a full production with audio and and mm-hmm. lights and everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I I, um, I saw that you guys are coming back to London soon. Yes, we are. Can't wait. Oh, hope hopefully everything will go as planned now. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, yeah. I mean, we've we've spent the time wisely, uh, both creating new Heilung music and right now, as we speak, the final mastering is going on next door for uh, the new Usine album, which is Chris and me have this other project uh, called Usine, which is uh, more filmic. Uh, yeah, how to describe it? It's always hard to describe your own stuff, but yeah. But it, this album has been six years on its way oh. with uh, moving studio and then mm-hmm. high long exploding and everything. So we're very happy that we had this time downtime to to finish mm-hmm. it. Awesome! I'm looking forward to that. Ah, good. You know it, the project. <laughs> no, I, I not 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 as such. I I just uh, think that it sounds really interesting and uh i'm definitely going to give it a listen as soon as i can <laughs> yeah go for it it's uh it's where we it's our playground where we use our um, imagination from from all kinds of genres so so it's not we're not locked into the nordic scene or the pop or the rock or the electronic uh, but it is of course we bring ourselves in it so some folk elements will be there and uh nice. yeah we, uh, we had a f- amazing time finishing the recordings now the past months and i can't wait for it to be finished and get out there at some point but there's lots mm-hmm. of stuff on youtube uh, if you're curious i'll definitely I mean, check it out yeah how, how do you find time to juggle both or do you ever get tripped up and uh, get well, them confused no it's pretty easy because i mean <laughs> You see, we sing in English and we work with more modern elements. Heilung has this uh, dogma that we only um, play on uh, on things that we create ourselves or which have this nature kind of bound sound. Uh, 
Um, and then we also have Song Like It, which is a completely acoustic Nordic folk music project with two female singers and, mm -hmm. and some instrumentations. So it's I find it extremely um, um, satisfying to work with these three different projects because then it's it's like all all my different sides can get uh, <laughs> can get out uh, in them. So uh, so yeah, I love it. Yeah, no, good, good. Um, yeah, I can't wait for you guys to come back to come to London. I'm definitely gonna make the make the travel down and and come and see. Yeah, you should do it. Absolutely, no, I uh, I definitely will. Will that be the first show that you do, or have you got one? No, that... we have Red Rocks close to Matthias's place mm -hmm. in oh, okay. uh, October. Oh, I, I imagine that you're excited. Oh, very much indeed. And we were laughing about it, uh, like, haha, wouldn't it be fun if we went from one and a half year of break and then directly to Red Rock with 10,000 audiences? <laughs> now it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly what is happening. I mean, for those who aren't familiar with Red Rocks, this is uh, like a legendary venue. It is... Um, it is a uh, it is an outdoors amphitheater um, in like in in the the rocks by the by the foothills outside of Denver, and uh, like pretty much every huge rock star has been through there. Um, every like it, back in the seventies, you know, all all the big big ones had huge, I'm sure, coke fueled parties. <laughs> you know, all, all of, there are so many crazy stories. Uh, so, so moving into a new house, I, I have a, I have of course been having my wizard battles with ants uh, because it's also kind of in the middle of the woods, weirdly. Um, and uh, the the guy who just came to like the exterminator guy who just came uh, to to get rid of my ants for me because now I I, I we're being overwhelmed. Um, he he's he's some old dude has who's been around this area forever and like he ended up telling me like and, and half a million stories about uh, Red Rocks because he's like worked there. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it's quite local for you all of a sudden. Uh... Oh yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, it's it's as I said, it's a legendary venue. So, so like playing there is 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 pretty cool. Like, uh, you should definitely be looking forward to that. Yeah, very much, very much. I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, we we're all also prepping up our winter gear because uh, October in the evening time uh, might be a bit chill. But then uh, we had some good excuses to 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 fix up our, our attires. So, yeah, 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 no. Yeah, no, it's a uh, it, it's Colorado. You know, it could be a lot of different things. You know, there could be wildfires yeah. all over the place at that time. <laughs> so, yeah. Maria, would you would you rather come back from such a a long time off to a such a big concert like like Red Rocks, or would you rather ease into it maybe with a smaller one first? No, you know what? We didn't ease into it on the first go as well. Mm -hmm. eh? We went directly from nothing to Castlefest, which I also mm -hmm. had around eight to 10,000 audiences live and then a lot more uh, online. Mm -hmm. So uh, so kind of this feels like a repetition in a way, like where we are, we're starting uh, 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 again. Uh, <laughs> what do you say that? How do you say that, Matthias? Um, we're starting up again. 
we say we started our field, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, with uh, yeah, so so it's it feels like uh, it feels very right, and we're doing what we can to prepare ourselves, like we did the last time. Mm-hmm. Everyone's in boot camp, doing uh, hard exercises, both physically and mentally, and practicing. Yeah, we're hoping to bring uh, some new stuff uh, to stage. Uh, yeah, I guess I can shred the secret that I'm, I'm practicing 64 names for Valkyries these days. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. <laughs> it's uh, a challenge, but uh, yeah, it's 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 weird with Heilung's lyrics. It's like you, you think it's like, oh, God, this is impossible. I will never learn this. And then all of a sudden, poof, it's there. And then I'll never forget it again. <laughs> so I'm pretty confident. But, uh, but yeah, please tell me, please tell me that you're, you know, dunking uh, Ruben daily in a, a bucket of ice water or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, he lives too far, man. He lives in Holland. Oh, that's right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, no, but yeah, I'm sure he get he will get his beating. They're gonna have a, a warrior boot camp in a couple of weeks <laughs> to so, get them in uh, shape. Yeah, help you help. Just make them help you build the next studio. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Call it team building. Call in the call in the warriors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good it. Idea. Yeah, team building. Yeah. It's a team building week. Building yeah. as a new studio. Yeah. And renovating the house. Yeah, yeah. Maybe touch up the lawn and do some small stuff as well. Exactly what I'd be doing. <laughs> you, know, you like get to know each other whilst yeah. cleaning the dishes and doing my washing. Exactly. <laughs> Mateus, I sent an article earlier i don't know if you saw it um, yeah. about cats yes. <laughs> i figured we may as well speak about something viking related seen as the episode has been kind of all over the place which is wonderful for me because i think it's brilliant just to kind of get to know you maria Thanks. um but i did send you an article about cats and how apparently vikings kept cats as pets mm-hmm. and i wanted to know how true that was or how really was all I, I had a quick read through that and it seemed like maybe they were more just kept for fur and whoever re- wrote the article really liked cats so wanted to kind of twist it into them having pet cats um so yeah what can you what can you tell us about that so as far as i know um uh, archaeologically we have evidence of cats of course in scandinavia in the viking age um i i seem to remember that they were used on ships too so so that they did have an important role in that sense i mean any any culture uh that has been keeping cats has usually been keeping cats because they catch all of those annoying little mice and everything else that goes into your food storage, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, so it makes sense that uh, they would do that also on ships. Um, mm-hmm. That's uh, uh, so. What I I read the article, um, and uh, of course, the, the the things that stood out to me were immediately those like those those that had to do with nordic mythology so mm-hmm. as a standard when somebody talks about cats in the viking age they always have to mention freya and that the uh, carry that the wagon that she has it's like drawn by cats which like i feel like i mentioned this very often but like if anybody ever considers the situation of like thor's wagon drawn by goats and Freya's wagon drawn by cats. Do, do you, do you, like seriously consider that that would work out? Like, come on. 
<laughs> like if, if you have a what if the cats are huge i don't know if the cats are huge right so if the cats are magic cats or, obviously or something like that magic cats <laughs> magic cats of course yeah, yeah. so no i uh, so the only person to tell us that freya's wagon is drawn by cats is snorri sturluson and who is Snorri Sturluson aside from the king of bullshit when it comes to Nordic mythology? It's like, <laughs> thanks for writing that material, Snorri. We're very happy that we have that available. We also know that you came up with so much garbage <laughs> when you were writing that. And I, I, I fall along the, uh, with the group of scholars who tend to believe that his this little uh, factoid about Freya's uh, cats is completely made up by Snerri. It seems like it's very much a, a, a sort of like an offshoot of uh, perhaps knowing that there was the cult of the Magna Mater in the Mediterranean area, and and she would be carried around in a in a wagon, uh, uh, at least depicted as such in a wagon drawn by lions or. Or, or something like that. And it's, this sort of seems like kind of like a child's version of that, if you know what I yeah, mean. Yeah, lions makes more sense. Right? It, and it sounds it's much more cooler, like lions yeah. or tigers. And then, like, Mr. Whiskers pulling the, the chariots <laughs> just a little bit. And we also know that they will be going in all kinds of direction, uh, directions if they're not, like, sitting around licking their ass or something like that. No, because obviously so, you have to have, like, a... a, a a stick with a piece of string and a fish hanging on the end in front of them. So they have to follow it. So I can't stress this enough. Snurri puts so many jokes into his stories about Nordic mythology. He really did. There are so many jokes in there. We're not getting them today because we're so far removed from, from that landscape of, uh, of, of irony that he was living in. Aside from that, I mean, we're, we also tend to take this material much more seriously when we read it today because it's like religion. Um, but what if he's just the greatest troll to ever live? He and like he just sure he is a pretty big troll, actually. <laughs> Like he just made it all up, and well, not all of it, but made he didn't it like make all of it up. But he did. There was a lot of things that he, you know, either he came up with them or they were like, you know, type of folk tales that you would tell to children, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole story about the ship of the dead is made of people, dead people's fingernails, right? Don't uh, take that away from me. That's he, one that they just so. Right after, right after he says that, he says, and that's why you have to cut your fingernails. Oh. Like, come on. Oh. <laughs> that's 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 like something your mom could be telling you, right? Mm-hmm. To, to really freak you out, like and, and keep your hygiene level high. We know that that is also a uh a a, a feature of folktales from Scandinavia. Um and especially in eastern Scandinavia in Finland. You have these folk tales about how the devil connects pe- uh, collects people's fingernails to make this like ship of the dead. So, so this the opposite effect for me actually. I would make them grow if my mom said that. That oh, your fingernails will be used for a ship when you die. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, uh, like I probably would do the same. I'd be like, yeah, hell yeah, that's that's metal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what about toenails? Is he? Oh, yeah. um, well, is he prejudiced against toenails? Do they I, just... I'm not entirely sure if, if he was uh, like, 
if, if he didn't care about toenails or, or what, but yeah. <laughs> but no, it does seem like the best building material. All the most watertight, like this, I mean, there's a lot of small, like how are you going to get them together? Um, well, so, so that's, the, that's the thing, right? Because like it takes a lot of fingernails, right? To build an actual ship that can carry a bunch of monsters, right? That's so, so, so maybe part of the story is also that it, it you know, that day when when the apocalypse comes and Loki is steering a ship uh, full of uh, Yasnar towards us, that's going to be far into the future. That might be part of it too. You know, and you're saying two cats pulling a chariot is unbelievable. Well, this is the thing. Like all of this stuff is sort of like when you start thinking logically about this, is like somebody is is like taking a piss here. Like somebody <laughs> is having a lot of fun fucking. The with fingernail us. ship one has always been one to me that stood out as just being insane. Like it's just that one is just so wildly weird that I almost feel like has to have an element of truth to it because it's so weird. You know, I, did, I have theorized in my own research that it's um, the original Nilfar is is actually um, a, uh, a, a sort of, um, um, it's a feature of volcanic eruptions. Um, so, because the one thing that's like really weird is that in Iceland, they, uh, in the few sources that we have to talk about volcanic eruptions or have some kind of relationship to volcanic eruptions, boats seem to be a, a consistent feature because um, mm -hmm. it's a, a fast-moving object. Um, there's even uh, something to suggest that uh, we see similar things in uh, in, uh, among, in the Maori culture in uh, New Zealand. And we also have the Holua sleds in Hawaii that are also really associated with the volcanic eruptions. So um, that's a much longer uh, rant. <laughs> I guess lava is quite water-like when it's flowing down the mm. flowing down the mountain, and almost I guess if you do think that is the end of world, the like the bringer of death, that it would make sense that there would be a the ship. Or the word lava itself is derived from a Italian word, Italian dialect word for for washing. Um, so, oh, okay. so the crossover between like the ideas of water and 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 lava is is actually pretty consistent throughout the mm -hmm. world. But going back to Freya's cats, though, because then this article says something else about how cats were like venerated or some something like that, and that's that's all nonsense. Um, mm -hmm. I, I can't remember exactly what the what the text was, but but it's like uh, they're weaving here, and I don't know where they got those stories from, but uh, but it's not an original part of Nordic mythology. Cats aren't particularly you know prominent in Nordic mythology at all. Mm -hmm. um, no, the article does make it sound like it's in there a lot. Yeah, it's not. As mm -hmm. you said, I think I think we're dealing with somebody who really likes cats. The, the the part that that I kind of shot off at was when they were talking about fur, and then they said about how they would kill the cat humanely, like that was shoehorned into it. Really, it was I found that really weird. Yeah, and I was like they, they that that was in there. It was like the cats might have been kept for the fur, but they and like killed humanely. I'm like, firstly, like, how the fuck do you know that? Yeah, <laughs> like how would you know? You don't know. That. But then they go on in the article to then say like. They broke that they found them with broken necks and and I'm like, 
what? So, so I, I start to get. That's why I, part of why I sent you it was like, yeah. Is there I mean, any truth in this? We know that the caskin was uh, used, mm. um, and uh, there is a famous story about the uh, vulva in Greenland in Eric the Red Saga. Um, I think her is it her hat that's made of catskin or is it, the, it's the gloves. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so so like, um, and that's of course like very special, mm-hmm. and of course also, I mean, then there's the whole cat and witch complex from yes, that's like very course. very early medieval stuff that's always uh, always there as well, and that might be one of the reasons that Freya is associated with cats and Stodosun's mind, because to him she would be a witch more than anything else. Okay. Um, See, I was just hoping that the Earl had like a, a spinning chair and a cat on his lap, like a Bond villain. And like when you came in to ask him something, he spun around with this big cat and he was stroking it and he's like, by all means, man. Don't you come in here and ask me for yeah. land. Yeah, yeah. Hauken, Earl Hauken of murder, definitely sitting there. That's <laughs> it. Yeah, like just, just like a Bond villain. And yes. he just spins around and then blood eagle. There you yeah. go. Have that. <laughs> the cat just looking at. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're staring menacingly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That that was like, like I said. I just found it a bit odd that there was angling for this because it, it comes across as they're saying like every Viking had a pet cat. And they just, yeah. Like, <laughs> hmm. Maybe they had like a cat, like like you say, they kept away the. Um, the mice. A couple, yeah, a couple of cats in the household. That makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Yeah, it yeah. just seemed more, like I say, somebody who really liked cats. Yes. Was... But that's the thing, like, you can also find you know, I'm sure that there are plenty of websites out there that tell you uh, a lot of things about how uh, the Vikings kept wolves or or some other shit mm-hmm. like that. It's usually somebody who really likes the fantasy of, of uh of of whichever animal they 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 want to attach to Vikings and mm-hmm. all that stuff, so mm-hmm. you know. There we go. Well, that answers that one then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, no, I think we've covered quite a lot. Although it might not be the most on-topic episode, I think people will enjoy just just hearing about uh, hearing about you, Maria, and uh, and your love. For, I I mean, I'm I know for a doubt that there's some laughers out there who also are Highland fans. That absolutely loved hearing the fact that you used to be a, a lapper as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty, pretty sure that there is uh, a lot of uh, Halong listeners that do larping. When we see, especially in the US, people come in the most amazing attires and and clearly know their way around the sewing machine. And yeah, that's usually a, a, a safe sign that they they do other stuff as well. So yeah, yeah. Here's, <laughs> here's to uh, here's to that. Absolutely. Um, yeah, let let let's wrap this one up. Um, is there anything that you want to shout out, or I guess there's only so much you can say about the new music? Um, yeah. or obviously, I guess even where you guys are going to be playing, because I think it's so unsure at the minute. It that is a lot of people won't. Yeah, and 
I mean, everything that seems safe enough, we are uh, we we are posting on mm-hmm. our Facebook okay. uh, and Instagram, and so so people can definitely keep an eye there. And it looks like it's gonna happen with uh, a few gigs in August already. Actually, a few festivals. Uh, okay. But right now, I can't remember which one of them <laughs> went publicly, so I'm afraid of saying <laughs> names. No, I completely understand. I had a horrible thing about the London show, actually, because it was uh, Facebook did this new update thing and uh, I was going to plan a scheduled post for the day after when everyone was going to make it public that we were going to play there. And then Facebook did this fuck up of just posting, uh, pre-posting that post like 50 times on our wall. (laughs) And I have to sit manually and delete. Uh, oh no! <laughs> we have to. So yeah, it's always a, a hassle with uh, with this stuff. But yeah, I'm. Did uh, you um, did you schedule it wrong, and then you just had to tell Chris that Facebook <laughs> fucked up? Oh no! <laughs> Chris, it was Facebook. Honestly, I don't know what happened. <laughs> Stupid Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I do. Yeah right. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, but uh, really, really hoping to be um, to be able to to be out soon and and uh, see people in the eyes and yeah, yeah absolutely. Like I say, I I haven't had the pleasure to see you guys yet, so oh, I'm definitely going to make the journey to London um, and hopefully come and say a hello in person. Yes, we would. Uh, yeah, that would be lovely. Let's do that. Absolutely. absolutely. And thank you so much again for for having me on this uh, great podcast. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for spending the time. Uh, We need to organize to have Chris on as well and get nerdy about sound. Yeah, if you have an hour to talk about, uh, he can go deep. Yeah, you can really test your uh, sound abilities there. I will go completely over my head, but I'm sure there will be people listening that will enjoy it. Yeah, and I think also there's uh, there's been a lot of, uh, I mean, he knows so much interesting stuff about sound and I've been pushing him for ages to do something like uh, YouTube uh, or something, just sharing a bit of his knowledge. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I would for sure be uh, be happy if he... Yeah. No, we will uh, we will organize to, to have him on for an episode. Yeah, sounds good. That, I'll be listening. Yeah, for sure. Matthias, uh anything you want to plug yeah i want to tell everybody not to send me facebook requests anymore. <laughs> <laughs> i keep getting so many friend requests on facebook send oh. him friend requests <laughs> secretly you anybody listening to this can't see he's winking follow me on instagram instead <laughs> secretly he wants more friend requests <laughs> no i'm rid of facebook i hate it i hate that platform so much <laughs> Matthias Nordvig. <laughs> Do it. I'm going to change, um, change my name to Lord Popperton instead. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Change the spelling and they will never find you. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. You can always find me on the, the various uh, Instagram and Facebook places and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, and now I'll give it over to you to do the rest. There <laughs> we go. The That's it. Now, if you enjoy the show, please leave us a five-star rating, a positive review. It, like I say, helps people find the, the show. You can follow us at Nordic Mythology Podcast on Facebook, Instagram. The website is Uh We're really trying to push the YouTube subscribers. So if you get 
a minute, please just pop over onto YouTube. Just hit subscribe. Uh, it's going to help us bump up. We're going to start releasing a bunch of short sort of two, three minute videos of the episodes and um, sort of sound bites. So you, you get like the best parts of it, I guess. Um, and then if you want to follow us a little bit more, Patreon's the best way. At any tier level, you get access to watch the live shows. You get to join in our little live chat we have going on during the show. Um, seems to be a lot of dick jokes in there recently. <laughs> Um, you get to pop was, your questions in there that we will uh, put to the was, guest. It's been since you said the the, the dictionary thing. And that was you your know. pronunciation <laughs> of dictionary. That hey, was I'm not foreign, me. man. I'm foreign. That's not an excuse. You just pronounced that really weirdly twice, <laughs> twice in a row. The first time I thought you did on purpose, and it was just an accident. And then the second time was just. I couldn't ignore it anymore. <laughs> I was like, look, I gave you one for free. Second one, I'm calling you on it. That is so ridiculous. <laughs> so there we go. <laughs> uh, it always falls into smut, doesn't it? Every week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Someone is asking in the chat if there's a exclusive tier for just the dick jokes Ooh. on Patreon. Or maybe, yes, 69 <laughs> $69 a, uh, a month, obviously. Oh, how childish. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, thank you very much for everyone for listening. Uh, it was fun, as always. Oh, last thing. If you follow us on Patreon at any level, you get access to the Vikings Watch Long show that me and Mateus do straight after the main show every week. We sit down and watch an episode of Vikings, let you know our opinions. And yeah, it's good fun. It's lighthearted. Usually we, well, I have a drink. Mateus can't. But it's, uh, yeah, it's good fun. We have, we have a laugh. I can. Well, you can, but it's like 11 o'clock there. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, yeah, oh. it's a little early in the day for that. <laughs> get, get a good day drunk on. and just That's it. it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Maria, thank you very much. It was fun as always. Thank you so much. Have a good uh, night and day, everyone. Thank you, you too. Thank you.